Good morning and welcome to Community Church. I just want to briefly read this passage for us. While we were in the hospital, there was a passage, a verse that God just put on my heart and then continued to press it in and press it in. And that's 2 Corinthians 12.9. It's amazing that the, the world wants to tell us you've got to be strong. We even bring that into church then through these doors saying, I've got to put on my best face. It's the strong who advance in this life, who cares about the weak. Paul had a different view here. Paul says this, but God, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. So if you're coming here this morning and you're feeling weak, if the burdens of life are weighing you down, just want to say this. Community Church opens wide its doors and says, welcome. Because his power is made perfect in weakness. You don't have to be strong. With that being said, I just have one announcement for us this morning. That, that is that you will notice during the summertime that there will be kids that will be joining us. That's because during the summer, children's ministry, community kids during the Sunday service will be put on hold. And we're doing this for a few reasons. One, it's important for kids to be a part of the Sunday service. But two, our volunteers need a break. And so we want to give them that break. And then I guess there's a third reason. Third reason is that we want you to pray that this coming fall, maybe the Lord would use you to serve kids by serving community kids. So pray about that this summer if you wouldn't mind, okay? We do have connection cards in front of us. If you have any prayer requests, we would love to pray for you. You can put them in the offering box, which is out in the lobby. With that being said, go ahead and turn to Philippians. We're gonna get back into Philippians Today we'll be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you underneath the seat back. Might not be directly in front of you, but there should be one somewhere. I'm going to read this passage for us and then pray for us. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you, and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'm going to read on to verse 1 here. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Father, would you please cut our hearts this morning with your word? Would you please allow your word to transform us? This is what you're in the business of doing, to make your sons and daughters look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so please, if there are those whose consciences are just soft this morning, would you encourage them? If there are those children who are living in rebellion, would you convict them? And if there are those who, whose hearts are hard and are far from you and do not know the rest that they long for, would you show them? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was kind of like a day that is going on right now. It's in sixth grade. I was at the ball fields. I'd made the all-star traveling team, and I remember we were sitting underneath a tent right next to the concession stand. I remember that part because I could smell the popcorn. And Coach Rowe got up and said something that changed the way I played sports for the rest of my career. You guys know the saying, practice makes perfect. Well, Coach Rowe helped me see that it's, that's actually not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. How often do we treat our walk with Jesus like that? How often does society tell us that if you want to make it far in this world, if you want to be a successful person, 
If you want to be well known, then you have to practice perfect in order to get perfect so that you are recognized and known. Right now, there is this phenomenon going on called cancel culture. I was reading an article yesterday about a guy who was in a a pretty popular band called Mumford and Sons, and he just tweeted out the wrong thing. He posted something on social media that the culture deemed as inappropriate, and the band that he helped start and found from the very beginning that now played in front of millions, he was forced to leave. Because, culturally speaking, he did not have the perfect beliefs. But we take this inside of the church too, it's not just outside of the church, and we think to ourselves, That if I want to have a closer relationship with God, then I must be perfect. Because if I'm not perfect, then he does not listen. Then trials of various kinds come. But here's what I believe Paul is letting us in on today. This is what Paul is trying to teach the Philippian church. It's this. It's that because Jesus Christ has made us his every day, we press on to make Christ Jesus ours. Look at, we come to verse 12 and he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. There it is. But we have to ask the question what is it that Paul is talking about? What isn't it that he has, hasn't obtained? Well, verse 11 tells us that it's the resurrection from the dead. It's being in the presence of Jesus. It's being fully taken up into heaven. He hasn't achieved this. And then he feels the need to go on to say, not that I'm already perfect. Now, why did he feel the need to say this? He felt the need to say this because there were people in his day, like there are in our day, who believed that this type of perfection was possible. Whether it's the new age person who believes that if I just meditate enough, problems will go away, or the prosperity preacher that says if you just pray enough and have enough faith, then you'll get these things that your heart desires. Paul here is filling us in on saying that he hasn't obtained the resurrection. He's saying, I felt my pulse and I'm still here. And it's not that I'm perfect. But, but, I press on to make it my own. Every single day. As soon as my head lifts off my pillow, I am pressing on. Paul is an urgent man who sees an urgent need to press on. And what is it that he needs to press on to make his own? It's his relationship with Christ. 
How often when you lift your head from your pillow, or as uh, an old basketball coach used to say to me in college, Max, did you just get done with Professor Sheets and Dr. Pillow? How often when you lift your head off your pillow, right away you start to pray. Right away you start to sing. Right away you start to ask the question, how can I press on today to make Christ Jesus mine? I'm going to have these meetings with these people. How can I press on to make Christ Jesus mine today? Okay, I had a a bad day yesterday parenting my kid. How am I going to press on to make Christ Jesus mine today? Okay, I had a bad day at school yesterday. How am I going to press on to make Christ Jesus mine? Okay, I I had a, a Facebook argument about politics, which is always a bad day. How am I going to press on today to make Christ Jesus mine? Paul is urgently saying, every single time I wake up, I am moving forward step by step, whether it's a walk, a jog, or a sprint, to make Christ Jesus my own. And I'm not trying to do it perfectly, Paul is saying. I'm just trying to press forward, press on. Why? Because of maybe one of the most important verses in this passage, Christ Jesus has made me his. Can you believe that? Christ Jesus made you his. You're his. You belong to him. He's not a fair-weathered friend that sees your imperfections and when you see them in the store, you put your head down and you start to walk in the other aisle hoping that they don't see you. No, he, he sees you and he starts waving his arms and he says, you, you, you're mine. All of your ugly warts, all of your sin, you are mine. You belong to me. We had nothing to offer Christ. We had nothing to bring to Christ. And yet, Paul tells us that we are his. He has made me his. Christian, do you know that? Do you know that you are Christ's? And he looks at you and he sees a wonderful creation of his how often have we neglected this truth thinking that Jesus is just this king he's just this savior off at a distance when in reality what this is saying is that no not only is he our king not only is he our savior but that We are His. We're His. And so Paul presses on to make Christ His own because Christ has made Paul His own. And 
And so Paul goes on to say, look, look, just in case if there are those who are perfectionists out there, just in case there are those who are thinking that somehow I am in a perfected state, I will say it again. I haven't made Christ my own yet. He isn't fully mine. And so I'm going to continue to run this race step by step. Right foot in front of left foot. And I'm going to run after that prize, straining forward. But doing what? Forgetting what lies behind. Now there are two ways to approach what this means right here. As Paul is saying, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Here we have this picture of a runner running a race. You know, God, just in case you don't know this, God didn't create us to run with our heads looking backwards. Try doing it sometime, and you probably won't get very far. He made us to look forward when we run. There are two ways that people talk about this right here. There is one that says, what Paul is saying here, the forgetting, what lies behind is all of your regrets, all of your failures. You forget about those and you move forward. And the other is saying, no, you, you forget about your successes because right here it's talking about a race. It's talking about getting a prize. And each of us in our Christian life have milestones of successes. I think we're in the middle here. I don't think it's one or the other. I actually think it's both because if you don't remember, let me read this to you. In chapter 3 at the beginning, Paul goes into his testimony. Do you remember that? Paul goes in to talk about all of these things that he regrets doing. He, he goes on to talk about how he had confidence in the flesh to boast more than anybody else. And he says, if anyone thinks he has more confidence than me, for being perfect, then listen to this. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church or a murderer of the people of God, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so here we have these regrets these terrible memories. And yet, the Apostle Paul knows that I'm not only sidetracked from my regrets, I'm sidetracked from my successes as well. Whereas regrets lead to or can lead to condemnation. They can lead to just navel-gazing, looking at your belly button saying, poor me and not looking up at the cross of Christ. Success leads to pride, and it leads to saying, look at me. Look at what I've accomplished in my life. Look at my ministry that I have done. Look at what I have accomplished. Everybody needs to know about it. 
And so there are two things here that we have to do when we are forgetting what lies behind. The first is that we aren't called to remember our previous regrets and sins to lead us into condemnation. This is why the ending of Romans 7 and the beginning of Romans 8 is one of the most amazing passages if this is what you struggle with. Whereas Paul goes on to say, I I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. How does he start Romans 8? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we forget those previous regrets that lead us to condemnation. But we also forget our success as being a one-minded people looking straight to the cross of Christ, saying, praise God for those successes. But this isn't the prize. The prize isn't the success here on earth. The prize is Christ himself in heaven. And so Paul says, I press on to make him my own because he has made me his own. I don't think about my earthly successes. I don't think about my earthly regrets. I look at the cross of Christ and I move forward. And this isn't the way we think, is it? We, as sinful people, have a terribly hard time remembering this. And Paul knows this. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and let those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. What is Paul saying here? This is the paradox that we deal with as Christians. Is that the more mature you are, the more clearly you see your sin. The less mature you are, the more you think you're perfect. The more you think you have it under control. My power is made perfect in weakness, God says to Paul. John tells us in 1 John, if any of you say that you are without sin, you're a liar. And so Paul here is very clear with us. We press on knowing that we're not perfect. We press on forgetting what lies behind us to the upward calling of Christ Jesus our Lord. And the more we do this, the more you're going to clearly see your sin. Now, why is that? Now, now, here's the question that we need to be asking ourselves right here going through these three, four verses. How in the world do I get this prize? If I'm called to press on, what does it look like to take that step forward, to take another step forward, and another step forward? Paul actually tells us right before this when he says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. 
Did you hear that? Paul didn't say, I count everything as a loss for the surpass worth of doing everything for Jesus or behaving like Jesus or whatever. He says, knowing Christ Jesus. Too quickly we go to the doing instead of the knowing. I think this is one of the biggest problems we're seeing in the American church. In zeal to do, we forget that we are called to know first. I think there's an increasing zeal to do and fight and a decreasing zeal to see the worth of Christ himself. In any type of great revival that has broken out, whether it's been here in America or across the world, do you know what it starts with? It starts with seeing the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It starts with treasuring him and seeing him as the most beautiful thing that we could possibly ever know and see. It starts with us coming into a divine encounter and seeing that Jesus has always existed. That Jesus Christ, the God-man, came down in human form. And he served us, imperfect enemies of the cross. And he didn't even count equality with himself. But he said, I will move forward to make you my own. And how does he do that? He does that by dying on the cross for us. We have such a small picture of who Jesus Christ is. We need a bigger one. We need to see that he is the the friend of sinners who welcomes the outcasts that you were once of them. You were once them, the outcasts, the lame. We need a bigger picture of Jesus. We need a grander view of his worthiness. We need to day by day press in to know Christ Jesus more and more. No relationship thrives off of mere emotions and just doing something for them. It thrives when you know them intimately and personally and this is what Jesus calls you into. He sees your imperfections. He sees your past sins. He sees that you're coveters, you're liars, that we're all too quickly to gossip, that we love money way more quicker than we love to give it, that we're far too often complainers and grumblers instead of being thankful. And he says, I am going to take that sin to the cross and die for you and make you mine. And so this is what Paul is saying here. So day by day, I press on to make him mine because he has done such a wonderful thing to me. How often do we just give Jesus a touch 
instead of swimming in the vastness that he has to offer us. Far too often we want to be like the woman at the well who says, yes, I want the everlasting water, the water that will never make me thirst, while being so quickly distracted for water with mud in it. Christ has so much more to offer you than anything this world has. And so, Christian, press on. Step by step, day by day, press on to make Christ yours. And Paul goes on to tell us two very important things here. He tells us, one, how we can do this more, and two, who to look out for. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You remember Epaphrodites? The brother that you sent to me that was willing to die for the sake of ministering to me, just like Christ came and died to minister to us? Look at him. Imitate him. You remember Timothy? The one who's so readily to be sent to you and serve you, just like Christ was ready to be sent and served you? Imitate Timothy. These two men, they exhibit Christ. Imitate me if you must. But lest we think maybe this is pretty prideful of, of Paul, let's just get this out of the out of Let's just get this out of here. Is Paul being prideful here by saying, imitate me? Is Paul saying, hey, look at me. I've got it together. No. Paul would be counterproductive if he were to say, imitate Jesus, because Jesus is perfect. And so Paul is saying, with all of your imperfections and my imperfections, follow me. Imitate me. Press on. Confess when you must. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Imitate those who are imitating me, those who are growing in fruit, those who exhibit a godly and holy life. Now more than ever, it's such an important time to imitate those who are imitating Christ and not those of the world. Because he goes on to even warn us for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is saying there is countless person after person after person who is walking as an enemy of Christ. What do these people look like? Well, their end is their destruction, Paul starts off with. He minces no words. Those who are enemies of Christ... Their end is eternal torment in hell. It's destruction. But what more explicitly does this look like? While their God is their belly. They care about satisfying their own appetite. They don't care about serving those who need to be served. They care about living a comfortable life so that they can be satisfied while others suffer. 
those who care about their belly care about their reputation. Those who care about their belly only want to feed themselves and others if it only helps them out. Next, he says, they glory in their shame. They say things like, we've got to fight against the culture. We've got to be ruthless about it. We have to be mean. We have to do anything possible to not let anyone's liberal agenda advance. And so in the name of Christ, let's go and get them. These are the people in the liberal church who champion the LGBTQ community. And these are the conservatives who champion and sacrificing integrity and character for political advancement. Next, it's all because they care about earthly things, their minds, their minds. This is what their minds are set on, earthly things. Their minds aren't set on heavenly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. They want to satisfy the flesh. Paul is saying on one hand, Live a life of, self, of selflessness serving those who need to be cared for. And on the other hand, he's saying, do not walk like those who want to self-serve themselves or selfishly serve themselves. And can't you see it? I... The enemy is those who would rather serve themselves than serve the naked man beaten in the street. It's a reference to the parable of the Good Samaritan. You and I have been called to press forward by making Christ Jesus ours because he has made us his. And we do that by imitating what he has done. Guess what? You're not going to do it perfectly. And so Paul leaves us with one last encouragement for us. He reminds us it's hard, but our citizenship is where? In America? In the world? No, our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a Christian, your name is written in the book of life. You, this isn't your home place. 
You're a stranger. You're an exile. You're an alien here. Your citizenship is in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. And while we press on to make Christ Jesus ours, while we press on for the upward prize, the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus, we need to be reminded that we await a Savior who is coming to get us. And when He gets us, and He takes us home to our true citizenship, He will transform us fully. And we will no longer feel that sadness that we feel. Those aches and pains that our body brings. The stress and anger of this unjust world. The hardships and anger towards Satan and his evil plans. We will be home and Christ will transform us and our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And guess what? This is how big Christ is. Listen to this last verse. You know how I just said we have too small of a view of who Christ is? We need to know him deeper. We need to know him more. We need to know him more personally. This is how powerful Christ is. He takes our frail, sinful bodies and he transforms them. Why and how? It's by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. There is not one person that has lived or will live that has the ability to subject all things to himself other than Christ Jesus. This is your Christ. This is the one who died for you. The one who is able to subject all things to himself. He will transform your lowly bodies and while we wait, while we wait, we press on. Look, I'll conclude with this. We haven't been called to follow Christ perfectly. You can't do that and I can't do that. That's what makes his death, burial, and resurrection so important. We trust in his perfection to cover our sins, not our perfection to cover our sins. And so you will never in this lifetime follow Christ perfectly. We won't. I won't. You won't. But we have been called day by day to make Christ our own just like he has made us his own. And we do that not by doing more things but by knowing him more intimately. That's my prayer for us here. Been here now going on year three and we really haven't focused on programs, have we? Why is that? Because my prayer for us is that we would know Christ more and more and that would stir us to love and affection towards God and our neighbors. That's the, type of mi- that's the best type of mission that we could possibly have here. It's such a love for Jesus that we can't help but love him more and serve others 
That's it. That's the plan. So, Christian, today, press on. And then tomorrow when you wake up, press on. And then the next day, press on again to make Christ Jesus yours. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name that you are so good to us that you sent your son Jesus to die because you loved us so much. You sent your only begotten son into this sin-sick world to die for us so that if and when we call out in faith and confess with our mouths that Jesus, your son, is Lord, that we could be reconciled back to you. Would you stir such a great passion in our hearts? Would you cause us day by day to meditate on Christ and the beauty and the magnificence and the awesomeness that he is? Please take away the blinders. Soften our hearts. Pray this in his name, in Jesus' name.